life works the way God intends when we put Him first in every area of our lives. To help us live that life, God gave us the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are principles to live by, principles that bring our relationship to God and each other closer together. They're a way to understand how God wants us to live. These commandments help us love God and love others. The third commandment says when we use the name of God in an empty and prideful way, we make it about us instead of Him. And so God says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Well, it is good to be back with you guys this weekend. I'm not going to lie to you. We miss having you here live. But you know what? I have Neil with me again this weekend. And you can notice that he's upped his protection a little bit. Evidently, last week, uh, when they said we're supposed to keep six feet between each other, that Neil decided that I can spit at least 60 feet when I'm speaking. So he's upped his protection. He's got his Lysol. And we are ready to go this weekend. I tell you what, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little bit stir-crazy. Are, are you finding that to be the case? I think I've read the Bible through three times over the past week, cleaned the garage twice. I caught up with all of Lars' shows with her. We've seen all the episodes of Housewives of New York, New Jersey, Beverly Hills, D.C., Dallas, Miami, even D.C. and the Housewives of Fuquay. We, we've gotten through 14 seasons of Say Yes to the Dress. And I think it's, it's, it's a little safe that we're getting bored. Uh, there's a lot of anxiety. It's like an emotional roller coaster. But you know what? There's an old saying that there is a, uh, behind every cloud, there's a silver lining. And I thought there has to be some good things coming out of this coronavirus scare that we're going through. In fact, I actually just made a list of some positive things. Here's one, for example, and this really appeals to my heart as a pastor. In nine months, there's going to be an incredible surge of growth here at Hope Community Church. I think you know what I'm talking about. So I think that's a positive. Here's one. I've learned through this experience that the government can print all the money that they want to print. And I'm encouraged by that being American. Here's one. I've also learned years of not washing my hands has actually upped my immune system. So you may want to practice that one with your children. Last weekend I learned that actually drinking a Bloody Mary while I'm watching myself speak on the internet, I got to tell you, that was a spiritual experience. Here's another one. With all the pine straw that God has naturally given us, really, who needs toilet paper? But probably my, my favorite one, I can come, I can talk to you guys online, I can actually say offensive things, but if you're not here live, I don't have to worry about having security. So let's just try to keep it light. Let's try to keep smiling. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs 17, verse 22 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. So every day, try to find something to smile at. I'm telling you, God's going to get us through this, and good stuff is going to come out of this journey that God is taking us on. Now, uh, this is the third week of our series uh, we're in based on the Ten Commandments. We're calling the series Ten. And this weekend, I am talking about a commandment that I think probably a whole lot of us are breaking. It says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, that we're not to take God's name in vain. We're not to misuse God's name. And I think for most of us, we don't take it that seriously. And that's why we've come up with phrases like, pardon my French, or excuse me, that just slipped out. In fact, it's kind of like that old Chicago song, you're a hard habit to break. And sometimes using profane, bad language, it's a hard habit to break. But I want you to know this weekend, this is an area that we can change in our lives, even if you're from Boston. And I say that because 
a few years ago, I was up at Fenway Park taking in a Red Sox game. And I'm telling you, I learned that the favorite adjective of those that live in Boston is the GD bomb. It was GD hot dog, GD Coke, GD t-shirt, GD foul ball. I mean, it was just their favorite adjective. But see, it's not just in Boston. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was playing golf with my brother-in-law here in the Raleigh area. And uh, there were two of us, and so they paired us up with two guys we didn't know so that there would be a foursome. And I'm telling you, throughout the whole round of golf, the front nine, it was GD putt, GD putter, GD driver. I mean, it was just crazy. In fact, it was to the point my brother-in-law, we would kind of smile at each other. It was just, they were so rough and so raw. Finally, when we finished up the ninth hole and we're heading to the back nine, we, I guess they felt like they knew us enough. They asked us what we did for a living, and that's when it got interesting, okay? Because my brother-in-law was an insurance agent, had, had his own agency at the time, so he explained that to them. And then they turned to me and they say, say, what do you do? And I said, well, actually, I'm a minister. I mean, it looked like they got electrocuted. And at first, they didn't believe me. And uh, they said, well, you don't look like a minister. And I got to be honest, for a minister, the, the highest compliment you can give them is that they, they don't look like a minister, right? So finally, I convinced them that I was a minister, and they said, well, we probably, we probably owe you an apology because of our language. And I'm like, man, you probably don't owe me an apology, but you may owe God an apology. But this is what's interesting. We played the entire back nine, and I didn't hear the GD bomb get dropped one time. So I'm telling you, this is an area of your life that you can clean up. And I want you to see how this third commandment ties into the relationship principle of humility. We've said behind each one of these commandments, there's a principle that can take us deeper in our relationship with God, take us deeper in our relationship with one another. And this week, I think it has to do with humility. So if you brought it, you have your Bible with you, if you want to get your phone out, uh, it's found this week's commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So here's my question. Why would God be so concerned that we don't misuse his name? Or to use the old King James, that we don't take his name in vain? Well, it's because you have to understand God's name is his character. God's name is who he is. You've probably heard someone use the phrase, maybe you've used it yourself. You would say something about that guy has a, he has a bad name in the community. Now, when you say that, you're not talking about the name that's on that guy's birth certificate, right? You're talking about the guy's character, his reputation. You're saying he has a bad reputation in the community. And I'm telling you, in the very same way, all through the Bible, the name of God is synonymous with the person of God, is synonymous with the character of God. For example, one day, the disciples, they were observing and watching as Jesus was praying, and, and they were curious, and, and how could you talk to the Heavenly Father that way? And so they were like, hey, Jesus, teach us how to do that. And you may remember that Jesus was like, well, let me give you a model that you can follow. And the very first line, he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This word hallowed means that God is holy. It means that he is set apart. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples that the name of God, it's a holy name that it's set apart from every other name on earth. By the way, let me just say this. There are a lot of names that have been assigned to God, attributed to God throughout the Bible. But probably the one that's most famous, especially that's used the most in the Old Testament is the word Yahweh. In fact, this word appears almost 7,000 times in just the Old Testament. And the name Yahweh means he who caused existence, he who always existed. 
Do you remember that scene with Moses when he was out in the desert and he was taking care of the sheep and he noticed this bush that was burning, but it wasn't burned up, it wasn't being consumed. And so Moses went over to investigate this bush and God began to speak to Moses through the bush. Now understand, Moses had no idea that it was God. And so Moses is like, who is this? What is your name? And do you remember God's response? God said, I am that I am. In other words, I am the one who has always existed. I am the one who will always exist. That's the name Yahweh. That's where it came from. And in this commandment, God is like, don't misuse that name. Now, let me just say this. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, they didn't do a good job of obeying this commandment. In fact, if you remember your uh, history of civilization, you may remember that as a nation, uh, or as, as a nation, the, the, the nation of Israel went into Babylonian captivity in the year 586 B.C. And the reason that they were taken into captivity is, if you read the book of Ezekiel, is because they misused God's name. By the way, as a result of this, as a result of going into captivity because of the misuse of God's name, at this time in history, the Hebrew people literally stopped pronouncing the name of God because they didn't even want to take the chance of misusing his name. But this is what I want you to understand. They weren't misusing God's name by how they used it verbally. They were misusing God's name by the way that they were living their lives. For example, if you were tuned in last weekend, we talked about the second commandment that, that God says you're not supposed to have any idols, you're not supposed to have any carved images. And he warned them that when you go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, where the Canaanites live, they're going to worship idols, they're going to worship carved images. But God says, regardless of what they do, you are not to do that. But we found out, sure enough, when the Hebrew people moved into the promised land, when they moved into the land of Canaan, they also began to worship carved images. So much so, you couldn't tell who the people of God were from the people who didn't even know who God was. And my point is simply this. They misuse God's name by the way that they live their lives. Now, so let's think about this uh, from the perspective of being a Christian. I'm assuming if you're watching, uh, you're probably a Christian or, or you probably would be watching Netflix, okay? But think of it this way. Just like the Israelites, one of the most common ways we misuse the name of God is by calling ourselves Christians, but we don't act like Christians. I mean, think about it. The word Christian means Christ-like. And how easy is it for us to refer to us refer to ourselves as Christians, but we don't live very Christ-like. That's the same thing that was going on with the nation of Israel. I mentioned earlier about that period of Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel chapter 6 talks about why the people of Israel actually were taken into exile, taken into captivity. God is speaking about the Israelites. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 20, it says, wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land I had concern, God said, for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. By the way, we get our word profanity, obviously, from this word profane. But it means this. It means to treat as common. So when we use this word profanity, it means to meet to treat as common. So literally what God is saying here is they treated my name as common, 
and my name isn't common because my name represents my character. My name represents who I am. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This word misuse in the Hebrew means to lift up or carry. And so this is what God's saying. You shall not carry my name in a vain way. You shall not carry my name in an empty way. You shall not carry my name in a prideful way. You shall not carry my name in a worthless way. And this is why I believe that this, this third commandment teaches us the principle of, humi of humility. You see, when we call ourselves Christians, but yet at the same time, we refuse to live obediently to God's word. In other words, we're studying God's word and we, we see and discover the things that we're supposed to stop doing if we're going to be Christians and things that we're supposed to start doing if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to call ourselves Christians. When we read God's word, but we refuse to bring our lives into alignment with the obedience of God's word to do the things that God calls us to do, to stop the things that God says, I want you to stop doing. And maybe we don't want to bring our lives into alignment because somebody may think we're weird or it may not be very politically correct. Or maybe we're afraid if we do that, we're not going to be accepted or we're not going to be as popular or we're not going to be in the in crowd. I'm telling you, when we do that, when we live the Christian life that way, we are carrying God's name in an empty in a worthless, in a prideful way. In other words, we call ourselves Christians, but because of our pride, because of our egos, because of our vanities, we don't live our lives in a Christ-like manner. In today's vernacular, we'd say, you know what, we talk the talk, but we don't actually walk the walk. By the way, it's interesting, all through the Bible, the name of God is interchangeable for the person of God. You've probably noticed that, but it just didn't jump out to you. Look, look at, for example, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. It doesn't say that the Lord is a fortified tower. It says the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. Here's another one, Psalm 20, verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It doesn't say we trust in the Lord our God, it says we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Probably one of the most familiar ones is in Romans chapter 10 verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it doesn't say everyone who calls on the Lord, although we know that's what it means, it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm just trying to show you that they are the same. So God says this, don't take my name, don't carry my name, in a vain way. When you use my name, don't misuse it. Now, let's make this practical. I got a couple of ways, three ways that we sometimes misuse God's name, and I don't even know that we're aware of it. So let me just show them to you. Here's the first one. We misuse God's name when we pray with the wrong motive. You ever prayed with the wrong motive? James chapter 4 verse 3 says this, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. By the way, this, this, this Greek word that's translated here, wrong motives, if you, if you remember the old King James, if you ever memorize this verse, is you ask amiss. I think that's interesting. We actually get our word miserable from the Greek word that's translated amiss, that's translated here, wrong motives. In other words, this is what God is saying. You ask, but you don't receive. And the reason you don't receive what you ask for it's because if I gave you what you're actually asking for, 
it would make you miserable. So God's like, I've got your back. I'm doing you a favor by not giving you what you actually think you need because it's just going to mess you up. It's going to make your life miserable. And see, that's why it's so important when we pray that we make sure every time we pray, we're praying for God's will. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what was he dreading? It wasn't necessarily the fact that he was going to be nailed to the cross. What he was dreading was while he was hanging on the cross, at some point in time, God was going to put onto Jesus, onto his shoulders, all the sins of all humanity. Every sin that had ever been committed, every sin that would ever be committed, God put the weight of all that sin on his shoulder. And Jesus knew that at that point, the father would have to turn and look away from him. I mean, they had had nothing but a perfect, harmonious relationship up to this point. But Jesus knew that when he became sin for us, when he took on our sin for us, that the father was going to look away. And that's why he cried out from the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? I'm telling you, that's why Jesus prayed, I don't want it. I don't want to have to endure that. I don't want to have to experience that, but it's not my will that's important. It's your will that's important. And I'm telling you, in the very same way, when we pray God's will, we always know that we're praying for the right thing. For example, when someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm sick, would you pray for me? I always pray for them, but I also pray not just for healing, and I know that God can heal. If he chooses, he can heal. But I also pray, God, not our will, but your will be done. Because, God, you're the one who has the perfect plan for all of our lives. And so we got to understand, when we pray, we need to pray the way Jesus prayed. Not just my will. Not just what I want. But, Father, your will be done. Here's the second way we misuse God's name. We misuse God's name when we speak for God. And you can see examples of this Uh, in the lives of the false prophets that were alive during the time of Israel in the Old Testament. This is what God says in Leviticus 19, verse 12. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane, there's our word again, the name of the Lord your God, I am the Lord. Here's one in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 28. Again, it's talking about the false prophets of Israel. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. Now let me tell you something. This happens in churches all the time. This happens with Christians all the time. I wish I had a dollar for every time someone came up to me. I mean, I wouldn't even need my 401k, okay? I could care less about the stock market. If I just had a dollar for every time somebody's come up to me and say, God told me to tell you. Now, this puts me in an awkward position because I don't know if God actually told them to tell me something or they just had a pizza and got hold of a bad anchovy, right? So I've had to learn how to respond this way, okay? If it's important enough for God to tell you to tell me, I am confident that at some point God will tell me also. In fact, you know, years ago when God kind of laid on my heart that he wanted us to relocate and, and, and give up all of our security in California and to move here to start Hope Community Church, I just knew that that's what God wanted us to do. But when I mentioned it to Laura, she said, no, thank you, not interested. It was obvious to me that God had not given her the same message that God had given me. And so I'm a pretty good manipulator. I can usually get what I want, right? But this is the one time I thought, I can't do that. So I didn't bring up this idea of relocating here and starting Hope Community Church until months later, when out of the blue, Laura asked me one day, do you still think about starting a church in North Carolina. 
And that told me that God was beginning to speak in her life. And you know, once God spoke to her also, within two weeks we had made that decision. My point is this, you have to be really, really careful when you go to someone and say, God told me to tell you. Or you position yourself where you're speaking for God. Hey, here's another way we do it as Christians. We have a tendency to spiritualize things. For example, especially those of us who are in leadership, there are times there are just things that we want to happen. We want to get things done. And most of us, we're pretty gifted. We're talented enough to get things accomplished. But often we will manipulate the situation and we will achieve that goal and we'll stand up in front of our congregations. We'll say, look what God is at. Look how God moved. And yet deep down in our heart, sometimes we're asking, did God really move? Did God really do this? Or did we manipulate this situation into existence and God, out of his grace, he just decided to bless us? I think there's a lot of times where God's like, hey, don't, don't put my name on that. Don't blame me for that. I think we give God a lot of credit God doesn't want. And God also gets a lot of blame for things that he doesn't deserve. But we have to be really, really careful when we take that position of speaking for God. And then third, the biggest challenge is we misuse God's name when the use of his name doesn't honor him. And I know at this point, I'm going to sound like some old fuddy-duddy, and trust me in this area, I don't have it all together. But I'm just telling you, the culture, the society that we live in today has totally lost respect for the name of God. For example, do you ever use the expression, oh my God, right? Laura loves to watch HGTV. And sometimes you'll get an episode of a show, maybe like House Hunters or something, where the people will walk in and they'll like, oh my God. And they walk in the living room like, oh my God, into the bathroom, oh my God, over and over and over again. Let me ask you another one. On social media, do you ever use the initials OMG? Now let's be honest. When we say something like OMG and we text it, we're not thinking about how great God is. We're not thinking about how awesome God is. When we use that, we're not thinking about how holy God is, right? But we will use OMG like LOL. And again, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm just trying to help you be aware that when we do this, we're actually misusing God's name. Sometimes we get into a frustrating situation and it's not working out the way we want it to work out. And you'll hear people say something like God Almighty or Jesus Christ, right? But you need to understand when you do that, when you use God's name out of frustration, what you're doing without even realizing it, I'm sure, you're actually blaming God for your problem. You're blaming God for your pain, your predicament, probably the situation that you put yourself in. You're basically making God your scapegoat. Another thing we need to be careful about is being so arrogant, right? Because this is about humility. Being so arrogant that we would actually curse someone in God's name. You ever said GDU? You ever heard someone use that expression? See, you probably don't think about it, but what you're saying GDU, you're asking God to damn someone. You're talking about eternal damnation. You're saying, God, I want you to damn this person to hell. Now, think about this. When you say that, GDU, you're asking God to do something that God doesn't do. I'm telling you, God doesn't damn any person to hell. The reality is this. If anybody goes to hell, that person goes to hell because they chose to go to hell. See, we damn ourselves to hell when we decide that we're going to ignore the gospel. 
We're gonna, we're gonna ignore God's gift of a savior. We're gonna ignore his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness in our lives. But are you beginning to understand how every day without even realizing it, we're misusing God's name? And that's why I think that this third commandment teaches us the principle of humility. Because listen, <laughs> we would have to be pretty arrogant, pretty prideful, to think that we could misuse God's name and get away with it. Now here's the good news. We can use God's name in a positive way. I love it, Psalm 44 verse eight. In God, we make our boast all day long and we praise your name forever. Again, notice it doesn't say we praise you forever, it says we praise your name forever. You can't separate the two. Here's another one, Psalm 100 verse four. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Psalm 113 verse three. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And let me just tell you, the best way to proclaim the name of God is with praise and with gratitude. I'm telling you, that's the best way. You know, we're going through this whole mess with the coronavirus, and there are times it gets discouraging. And I know, I get up every morning, and the first thing I do is I turn the news on just to see what's changed in our society. What's the new norm now that's, that's taking place overnight? And, and sometimes it start, it, you, know, you can start to go to that dark place, right? You can start to get depressed and discouraged. But let me ask you a question. Even though we're going through this, do you still have a home to live in? Do you still have some food to eat? Do you still have some toilet paper, at least a few sheets, right? Do you still have a job that probably within a few weeks you're going to be able to go back to? I can promise you this, you still have a church that loves you more than you could possibly imagine. I think sometimes as Americans, if I can say it, we get a little soft. I mean, I think about our campus in Haiti, and if you're just listening in, we actually have a campus in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. We're about 1,500 brothers and sisters in Christ get together and worship every weekend. Uh, this past year has just been ridiculous for them. Uh, it, it, they've been through economic strife like never before. Uh, they've been out of gasoline. There's been months that they've been without food, and the press really hasn't covered this a whole lot. There's been rioting. There's been kidnappings. There's been murders. And during that period of time, our church in Haiti has grown by 50%. But not only that, when we talk to them, when we, when we interact with the staff, there's a joy and a happiness and a contentment that they have in their life. But here in America, we found out that, you know, they had to shut down the Apple store for a few days. And there's not, we got a whole different kind of March Madness this year, but this is not the March Madness we want. Or we can't go out to our favorite restaurants. And, and from our perspective, it seems like the end of the world. In fact, this is what I would just encourage you to do if you're kind of feeling that way, is get out a sheet of paper, get out a pen, and I kind of did this facetiously at the beginning, but just begin to write down the things that you can be grateful for. The things that even in this crisis we're going through that you can give God praise for. But I'm telling you, this commandment, it's a big deal. <laughs> and you can't just excuse it away by saying, it's just the way I am. I am from a long line of cursors and swearers, and I'm from a long line of people that just can let the profanity fly. You can't just say, that's the way I am. In fact, I want to remind you about the second part of this third commandment. Notice what it says in Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Do you know what the word guiltless means? 
it means unpunished. And so what it's saying is this, when you use God's name the wrong way, you're not going to go unpunished. And if you hear that, you're probably a little bit like me. Because what I think when I hear that and when I read that is, wow, I'm in trouble. Because I am confident that I have prayed God's name the wrong way. I am 100% confident that I have prayed for certain things with the wrong motive. I am confident in my years of leadership that I've said that God has accomplished something and I've given God credit for something, maybe even blame for something that really had nothing to do with God. I've said things like, oh my God. In fact, I've said a lot worse. So I read the second part of that commandment and I think, wow, I am not going to go unpunished. But then you have to be reminded that when we study God's word, you have to take it in its entirety. And I'm reminded that as a Christian, guess what? Jesus took the punishment that I deserved for me. I love how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Literally says through this, says this, through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, to prove that he was the savior of the world. When we accept him as our savior, he puts us back into a right standing with God. Now, I'm grateful for that, because I can promise you this. I've broken more than just one commandment. But I'm reminded that Jesus took my punishment. See, that's grace. And you see this principle of grace all the way through the Bible. In fact, let me remind you, God didn't give the Ten Commandments to Israel while they were in Israel. God didn't come along and say, listen, when you get your act together and you start behaving the way you're supposed to behave and doing the things you're supposed to do and stop doing the things I don't want you to do, when you get your act together, then I'm going to deliver you from slavery. This is what God said. I'm going to deliver you from slavery before you get your act together. You see, that's grace. And you got to remember, in the same way, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, his resurrection, he has delivered us from the slavery of sin. And he chose to do it before we had our act together. That's why Paul wrote Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we got our act together, he died for us. But while we were still undeserving sinners who weren't even interested in being reconciled back into a relationship with God, it was then that he died for us. The other day, uh, one of the local TV stations came in and asked me if I would do an interview about where is God in the middle of this crisis. And I was sharing some different things and different perspective. And I was talking about Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And then the, 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 the gentleman who was interviewing me, the reporter, he says, so Mike, what do you say to people who don't believe in God? And I looked at him, I said, man, if you don't believe in God, I got nothing. If you don't believe in God, I don't have any encouragement whatsoever. And maybe that's where you find yourself as you go through this crisis. So let me just ask you this question. Have you ever responded to God's grace in your life? 
The fact that God looked down to us, at us, and the mess that we had made of his world, and he thought, man, they're never going to be able to, to figure it out. They're never going to be able to work their way or earn their way back into a relationship with me. What they need is saving, so I'm going to send them a savior. And do you remember what the angel said that first Christmas? Oh, this is good news of great joy for all people. So God wants nothing more than to restore us back into a relationship with him. So if you're like in these turbulent, uncertain times, you feel like, man, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. My advice would be this, turn to God. Because this is what will happen. One, he will accept you, receive you, forgive you, save you, and he will comfort you. Turn back toward God. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've been up to. He doesn't care how big of a mess you've made of your life. He will forgive you, restore you, and love you. In fact, this is how much God loves you. This is what it said in John 3, 16. You've probably heard this verse. For God so loved the world. Forget the world. Put your name there. For God so loved Mike Lee. Wow. God so loved me, God so loved you, that he gave his only son to die on a cross, to become sin for us, to pay for our debt, so that through Jesus Christ and his resurrection that prove I am the one who can take away your sins, if we accept that gift of what Jesus did for us, we get to be restored and reconciled back into a relationship with God. Forgiven unconditionally. Accepted unconditionally. Loved unconditionally. As we wrap it up this weekend, yeah, it's important that we understand the seriousness of the third commandment about not misusing God's name. But I want you to understand, all of these commandments were given to us because of grace. So that the barriers would be removed so that we could go deeper in our relationship with God, deeper in our relationship with each other. If you've never gone to that place, that relationship with God, that's the gospel. And whether you're listening to this in your car or you're watching it at home, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I get it. I am a sinner. I have sinned. And I believe that you gave me your son to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Please forgive me. And I'm telling you, you can take care of that today. And you will see that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had together, the time we can dig into your word. And as we're making our way through these commandments and they seem so harsh, it's all about you can't, you can't, you can't, but you, you gave us these commandments so that we can go deeper in our relationship with you, so that we can go deeper in our relationships with one another. But Father, even more importantly maybe today would be that for those who've never come into that relationship with you, that that's where we find our hope. That's where we find our peace. That's where we find our purpose. And even though there may be chaos around us, we can find peace in who you are and to know that you have a plan, that you've taken us on as a project 
and you will not stop until that project has been completed. We love you. We pray for safety, for health, for healing. We pray for this virus to pass so our lives can return to normal. But Father, remind us you don't waste tough times. So what is it that you're trying to teach us as we're going on this journey together? And we're going to give you the glory for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.